This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everyone. Happy September. Wow. It's already September. Woo. All right. Why has a white truck been sitting in Buffalo Bayou for nine months? Plus, as the Ken Paxton impeachment trial starts, everyone is asking, who is Nate Paul? And H-Town is making noise on Netflix. I'm talking about these stories and more with Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and the always dynamic media personality, Antrachelle Nova. It's September 1st, 2023. I'm Raheel Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Take a big, deep breath. Ooh, sniff that in. Do you smell that? Oh, that's the long weekend. I smell it. It's the long weekend. We are almost there. It's Friday. How's everybody doing? What's up? Man, what's up? And don't that long weekend smell good? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> I am excited. And you know, I wake up this morning and it's almost kind of nice out. I'm not sweating. It's incredible. Yeah, it's almost there. So let's start with this. Do you have a Labor Day tradition here in the city of Houston, Evan? Uh, No, not really. I mean, I always try to just ramble off as many uh, factoids about the labor movement in Houston as I can just to remind us about the importance uh, of standing up in solidarity with your fellow uh, man and woman who sells their labor for capital. Absolutely. Now, how about you, Antrachelle? Any big Labor Day plans or traditions? Yes. Sleep all day. That's it. (laughs) Do nothing. (laughs) I like it. I like it. It's the, you know, it's like the unofficial end of summer, right? Mm -hmm. So get some rest. It's been a long, hot summer. We might as well get all the rest we can. Let's jump into the biggest story that caught your eyes. What's up, Antrachelle? So listen, the biggest story that I've seen is KDISD approves policy requiring teachers to tell parents if the kid identifies as trans. Now, the KDISD Board of Trustees approved in a controversial new policy for transgender kids Monday night after a heated debate at school board meeting. Um, Now, this measure outlines teachers' roles, parental rights, and which bathrooms students will now be allowed to use at school. Now, they approved this policy in a four to three vote. Now teachers and staff will now be required to tell the parents if a student wants to be identified as transgender, change their name, or use different pronouns at school. Um, The employees will not be allowed to share any information about gender fluidity with the students and are prohibited from asking for preferred pronouns. Um, Now, I do have to make it clear that this new ruling also requires the students to use the bathroom that aligns their gender assigned at birth. What's up? What y'all feel about this? You know, part of me is sympathetic. If I'm a parent, and I am, I kind of want to know what my kids are up to. 
But does this policy apply in like other areas? Like if your kid's dating someone, do the parents have to be told about that? Uh, like if your kid comes out, you know, in some other way, they want to change their religion. Do the parents have to be told about that? It just seems odd to me that we're putting aside this one specific politically convenient thing that parents have to be told about and everything else can be kept in secret. Absolutely. Now, I feel like this should be a content neutral regulation. I also wonder what's going to happen when you do have that one teacher who is sympathetic towards that student and is like, you know what? I'm actually not going to tell your parents because this is your privacy. And if you want to tell them, you tell them, are they going to get fired? Is this going to turn into the next big thing? Like, is there going to be lawsuits following this? Because it just takes one teacher, right, to stand up. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you, Raheel. I kind of feel like, you know, what else? You know, like, if we're going to do this, then what else are you going to tell the parents? You're gonna tell, are you going to tell the parents when this child is being bullied in my class? Are you going to tell the parents, you know, if my son decides to date a boy? You know what I mean? Like, or what are you going to tell me? Because I feel like this is a bit much. Yeah. I mean, growing up, part of it is developing your own internal life that's separate from your parents. And I, I would think that we would want to foster that in some ways. You know, kids aren't owned by their parents. They're their own people. And to say that everything that a kid does, a parent has to be told about really undercuts a lot of the rhetoric I've been hearing lately about the need to foster independence among kids. Mm -hmm. This is going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And also, KDISD is really putting out the signal like, hey, if you want cultural wars and you want to be part of this, move to KDISD (laughs) because we got you covered, okay? (laughs) Trans rights, no, we're good. Banned books, come on down. Everybody who who wants to be upset about banned books, we are your ISD. They're doing a good job of this. Yeah, what happened to school districts just trying to focus on getting the good outcomes? Are the students Uh learning? Are they getting jobs? Are they going off to college? Like, that's what I want to know about. But apparently, these school boards care about something else. Uh Yeah, and lost in all this is Katie ISD is one of the best ISDs in the area for education. And people do move there just strictly for the education. And now it's just turning into a cultural war ISD, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to see that transition. Stay tuned. (laughs) All right, Evan, how about you? What was the biggest story of the week for you? Well, I think the biggest story was reporting by the Texas Tribune about Operation Deep Sea, which apparently was a secret operation within the attorney general's office where Nate Paul, Ken Paxton's buddy and potentially corrupt businessman, had used an outside lawyer hired by Ken Paxton to leverage the powers of the attorney general's office to go after Nate Paul's various enemies, including taking documents that Nate Paul would write, executing them as search warrants, and then targeting various political enemies that Paul had, including searching for email and phone records of prosecutors investigating him, federal court staff, police officers, the head of a charity who is suing Nate Paul, and a court-appointed lawyer in a lawsuit, and the lawyer's wife. Basically, Ken Paxton let Nate Paul turn the attorney general's office, this public office, into his own personal sock puppet. Now, impeachment proceedings in the Senate begin next week, and I just can't wait to see what else we learn. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing as this impeachment trial starts and more and more people start focusing on this outside of our podcast. I think the biggest question we're all going to be asking is, who is Nate Paul? Who right. is Nate Paul? Like, how yeah. did he get this much power? Like, what is it about this guy that has Ken Paxton selling out the entire state apparatus mm-hmm. of justice for him? 
really. And, you know, is it that Nate Paul set him up with uh, his woman on the side, paid for his tickets to Las Vegas and his Uber ride so he could meet up with this woman? Is that what it was? You know, it really at the end is, is Ken Paxson just got a big heart for this woman. He'd do anything for her. Is that what it is? I really just don't get it. And then you have this whole set of arch conservative political activists who are so mad about this and are convinced that you know Ken Paxson is just a target of the liberals out there and they're trying to bring him down because he poses a threat. I, I got to say this, Paxson poses a threat to no one. All right. Like if you're a Democrat out there, you're looking at Paxson, not in fear of everything he's going to do, but just kind of disgust and confusion. It should be the Republicans who are mad that this guy is in power and uses the office not to push their political goals, but just to support himself and his buddies. You know, as this trial gets going, I can totally see driving down 71 towards Austin with some big billboards, like all black and in white font. It just says, who is Nate Paul .com or something <laughs> like it, just the name itself just sounds so scandalous. Nate Paul. <laughs> I'm so enamored by this name and this character and how he got so much power over Ken Paxton and everything you laid out makes sense. But we're going to be learning a lot more about Nate Paul here in the upcoming weeks. Okay, my biggest story of the week, and this is your favorite bill, Evan, the Death Star Bill, aka mm -hmm. House Bill 2127. Guess what? It was struck down by Judge Gara Gamble in favor of the city of Houston who was suing and trying to get this bill overturned before it goes into law here shortly. The bill is most famously known for not allowing workers water breaks. That's when it got a lot of national prominence, but it was also going to bring all sorts of sweeping restrictions on cities and counties' ability to pass local ordinances. The law would have also barred cities and counties from passing ordinances in eight broad areas, ranging from labor and occupational codes to the environment. So we've talked about this before. Before we move on and get your thoughts on this, Evan, just lay out what other things could the Death Star Bill have done? I mean, the Death Star Bill can override so many local regulations around solid waste, around various noise regulations, land use, labor laws, all those things that used to be in control of local governments. It's almost like we're going through this secret political revolution in the state where local control used to be sacrosanct. It used to be an important part of how we viewed ourselves. And now it's all flip-flop that all power comes out of Austin and Austin controls everything. And if you want to get something done in Austin, good luck. They meet every other year and you basically need a team of lobbyists to get anything done there. In contrast to say just going down to your city council member and telling them what's up. Uh, but what's really interesting, I think, about this court case is that there isn't an injunction. It seems like they're playing some uh, legalistic trickery here because if there is an injunction against the bill, then the state could immediately appeal it to the Supreme Court. But now they have to go through the regular process and now it's going to be at the third court of appeals. So it just kind of draws out this whole process. And I wonder what the end game looks like. Yeah. What do you think the end game will look like? I mean, I think the state Supreme Court is going to overturn it the moment they get it. Like mm. they're going to keep the Death Star in place. Man. So all this right now is just for naught. That's my guess. But who knows? Maybe the, the third court of appeals will have some super strong opinion and that the state Supreme Court will really have to stick out its neck to flip that. Wow. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right, Andrew Shell, let's get to your most overlooked story of the week. What caught your eyes? Love is Blind Season 5 is set in Houston. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> the internets are wondering, should we celebrate this or should we cringe? But one thing I know for sure is that we hope they do not embarrass us here in Houston. Now, Love is Blind, if you do not know, is a Netflix series that comes on where it takes singles and they put them in these dating pods and they interview each other without seeing each other until they get engaged and so the point is is you have these series of questions and you keep talking to these people and then you propose to them without seeing them once you say yes to the ring or the proposal then you meet and then you're whisked away to a vacation then you move in together meet family and friends and then at the end of the experiment you either say i do or i don't now this is set to release september 22nd uh with episodes one through four September 29th, episodes 5 through 7, October 6th, and the wedding episode, October 13th. Are you guys Love is Blind fans or nah? I've heard of the show, but I'm not a fan of it. I don't like dating shows or reality shows as much, so I might tune in just to see what they show about Mm -hmm. Houston and how our city is portrayed, but I probably won't stick through the actual entire series. (laughs) How about you, Evan? It depends if my wife watches it or not. If she's watching it, then I'll be there next to her watching every step of the way. I'm always drawn in when anything is about Houston. We don't get a lot of cameras on our city. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, yeah, I find that reality shows, one, make a mockery of love. And I'm against that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And two, it just takes forever for anything to happen. Like if you had writers, you could write a script where the exchanges between people are punchier and you get through your plot points quicker. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's going to take like two hours to do 22 minutes worth of action. Mm -hmm. I do remember when I was in college, the real world Uh, was mm -hmm. filming in Uh Austin around 2005. And we would always try to see if we could catch them out and about, like (laughs) at restaurants, at bars or wherever. And we did run into them a few times and it was pretty cool to see them filming. And then, you know, like three months later, we saw it on TV. So that was pretty cool. But I think all the filming is done, right? And there's not many dates on the show. You're just kind of getting background on every dating candidate. So we'll see Houston through their perspective. So that will be cool to see. Um, Yeah, again, I'll I'll tune in just to check it out. But, eh, you know, it's... It's Love is it's Blind. It's Love is Come Blind. On. And the trailer is already out. Check it out. I'm curious to see who they cast because I mm-hmm. didn't see them around the city. I mean, I, I don't be outside, so I don't think I would. But yeah. I agree. <laughs> I want to see who they picked and how will we be portrayed. Um, I'm going to watch. I'm watching. You'll be our official insider. I surely will. Now, I will tell you the very (laughs) first season was the best and it was my most favorite. And all of them are still together. Those who who got married, they're still together. So, and um, yeah, so I believe in this. No, I just believe in the first season after that. They uh, they went to Seattle first, Chicago, Dallas, and then Atlanta. Now they're in Houston. I can't wait to see what happens. Interesting twist on a dating show. Okay, (laughs) Evan, how about you? What was your most overlooked story? The most overlooked story this week was that there is an auction for offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico. 
a German company paid $5.6 million for the right to develop more than 100,000 acres off Lake Charles. But there was a bidding for land off of Galveston to put in offshore turbines, and nobody did it. Nobody bought Mm. it up. Like, what's going on there? What's wrong with us? Like, well, according to some scientists, the wind isn't as strong in the Gulf of Mexico and, say, the Atlantic. So while uh, an auction in the Atlantic had billions of dollars worth of bidding, we don't get so much here. Uh, And also, uh, the ocean is deeper. We have some advantages. We've got the manpower. We've got the knowledge. We know how to do offshore work here. We do it all the time in the oil industry. But there is something else, too, that was a barrier to this, and it's our politicians. Uh, Folks like State Senator Mays Middleton tried to file a bill earlier this year that would allow the land office to deny permits for transmission lines to connect offshore wind projects with the state's grid. Right now, in peak summer, when we're having these threats of brownouts, who says no to new energy in Texas? I don't get it. What type of anti-business, anti-energy weirdo doesn't want more energy companies to come to Texas? It's what we do. We're good at it. Keep them coming. Yeah, and we need it. Uh, Hello, we're on our own grid here. And like, it has been... Eight straight days or nine straight days of, please, guys, conserve your energy. Hey, we need Uh. your help here, please. And I'm like, this is a you problem center point because (laughs) y'all got to fix this. Agreed. Yeah. Someone wants to come in and put some turbines off of Galveston. Like, let them. Like, give us that energy. We could use it. That is so crazy that they're trying to block this. And, you know, you, you mentioned, like, is our wind not good enough? Is it not pure enough? I don't know what it is, but... It just makes so much sense. Why can't we do it? You know, if there's not an environmental impact and it's going to help us, come on, let's get this going. I mean, I think just some Republicans have in their mind that like renewables are bad. Wind is bad. And I never thought I'd say it, but I kind of miss like Bush and Perry who loved this stuff. They're like, yeah, bring it on. You know, whatever we can do. Yep, absolutely. Okay. My most overlooked story is about a white truck and how it represents what happens when multiple government agencies and private companies are involved in getting something done. Well, a white truck has been stuck in Buffalo Bayou for nine months. It belonged to Alejandro Torres, who drove it into the bayou somehow and did tragically drown later on. Uh, His body was found and his truck was still there in the bayou. Since then, the truck has been part of HPD's investigation into the death of Alejandro. But after they finished it and, you know, they figured out what happened, they passed ownership on to the insurance company who was supposed to get it out via helicopter, but they never did. Then it went to the Harris County Flood Control because they control the waterways and they've been waiting to get it out, but they haven't been able to either because the bayou portion is near private land and it's really hard to get to. So now, fast forward nine months later, a bunch of graffiti and broken windshields, that white truck is still there and it is not moving, it seems like, anytime soon. It is so crazy. Brittany Shea of The Chronicle did a great job reporting on this, explaining what's happening. I've linked that story in our show notes, but just wanted to bring this up that nobody can get this job done of removing this white truck. My goodness. I just feel like there's a whole story to be told about trucks and cars that end up in the bayou. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like a, a while ago, the city and county worked together to try to get a whole bunch of them out of there and they just keep falling in. Like, what can we do about this? Yeah. And this one's interesting because nobody can figure out how Alejandro drove this truck into the bayou because the part that it's sitting on, it's like almost near impossible to get to. So that's the other part of the puzzle. Like, how did he get there? Yeah. 
That's a real life mystery. It I is a know. mystery. <laughs> we got to wait for another flood, just kind of wash it away into Galveston Bay. It's funny you bring that up. We've been lucky that, that we haven't been getting much rain and that the waters haven't dislodged this truck and pushed it down more mm-hmm. into a bridge, right? And causing more damage. So, yeah, I mean, it is nuts what's happening with this white truck. I, it was a fascinating story. Again, you got to read it when you have some time. It is so interesting. Okay, let's get to our moment of joy. Let's end on a high note here. Answer Shell, what do you got for me? So listen, everybody knows about my beautiful, talented, genius, only begotten son, Axum Nova. And Axum Nova takes kindergarten. Not only does he take kindergarten, in true fashion, Axum Nova is a team leader. He is a kindergarten leader over the dragonflies, and he is so proud, and we are so proud of him. And that definitely made me so happy, and that brought me joy this week. Oh, that's awesome. How was that full first week of school for him and for you, Mom? (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Meet the Teacher almost took me out. I cried profusely (laughs) on Meet the Teacher, but on Monday, you know, my husband was there, my mother was there, and my niece was there. And when I tell you we went as a group, uh, you know, we watched and we just kind of stood over and tried to see what they were doing. And then we were asked to leave. <laughs> by the administrators they say okay guys go get coffee go get breakfast you know listen we can't rally them and get them settled if you guys are still here let us have our turn and then we moved outside they kicked us out of outside too they made us leave <laughs> they made us leave so it was great it was definitely um a task I can understand now why most parents are always looking forward to the weekend. I'm looking forward to this long weekend because this has been a struggle for us as a family because we're real, uh, we're creators, we're free flowing. So we don't have a set bedtime and things, but if we want him to be successful, we had to implement an 8 p.m. bath time. 8, you know, 8.30, read a book, and Mm -hmm. then go to bed by 9. That's been a struggle for us, but it's definitely been worth it. Absolutely. Structure is king. Structure is king in school. Mm -hmm. So big. And you know what? Stick to it, Aunt Rochelle. It gets better. You know, you become part of the routine, and it just works out. Absolutely. How about you, Evan? What was your moment of joy this week? My moment of joy was watching the movie you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. And not just because it was a great encapsulation of the Jewish experience, and not just because it was starring Adam Sandler and his daughters, but because it was written by Houston-raised Allison Peck. You may know her sister, city council member Amy Peck. I love to see it when Houstonians do well in Hollywood. It's not really our thing. It's not what Houston does, but she had a great hit with this one, and I highly recommend it. Where can we watch it? Netflix. It's on Netflix. What? I got to see that. Adam Adam Sandler is my dude. He is my dude. Mm -hmm. So I got to see that. I'm excited about this. Oh, yeah. He really does a good job of just like leaning into being a schlubby dad. And I think it's like a bit of a role model. You know, when I was younger and you'd watch him up on Saturday Night Live and he was so funny and everything like you wanted to be that when you were 13. And now that I'm 37, I look at Adam Sandler like 
shuffling around in a bathrobe at a movie theater in this movie. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's who I want to be. Yeah. I love Adam Sandler because he'll literally wear basketball shorts and a t-shirt, you know, to any kind of press event that he has to go to. And he's just like, I'm not changing for you. You know what? I'm going to go play some pickup basketball after this. So I got some hoop shorts on. Who cares? He knows who he is. You yeah. know, my favorite thing about Adam Sandler, and this is not to take away from Mark Houstoni, who has written this wonderful movie. What I love about him the most is that he is the epitome of community. He has had the same group of friends and people cast in every single movie that he has mm-hmm. been in. And that is definitely a goal of mine, you know, because we as a people need to learn community. We are a ladder. And most people, uh, they say it's lonely at the top. Yeah, because you didn't bring nobody else along. But Adam Sandler has <laughs> all of his homies in all of his movies. And this is so cool to see where they will pop up. It's almost a where's Waldo in an Adam Sandler's movie. Like, oh, there he is, you know, and how yeah. they all play different characters. So, yeah, I love that. Oh, yeah, me too. And his daughters are in it. He's really making it a family affair. And I got to say, they're great in that. Good. That's good. Okay. My moment of joy. It's finally here. It starts. College football is back. And my Longhorns are finally going to make some noise this season. But first, Evans Rice Owls are waiting (laughs) for us, okay? This is a big matchup. Not because of the football, Evan. Look, we're a better team. And y'all have JT Daniels, who's a proven quarterback. And that's awesome. But look, Mm -hmm. we're Texas. You're Rice. I get it. I'm excited to see what the mob is going to do to roast the Longhorns (laughs) as we head to the SEC. One of my favorite things when I was a student was when Rice would come to Austin and we get a chance to see the Rice Owls marching band, the mob. And I just love all of their routines, how they make fun of the teams. And it is one of the best things. So I can't wait to see how y'all roast us for leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC. No, I love the mob. Those guys are hilarious. Uh, I remember when they made fun of Baylor in Baylor's face at a game at Rice Mm -hmm. uh, after Baylor's massive sprawling sex scandal. It was the most cutting thing I think I've ever seen. And you could tell all the fans just hated it. So props to the mob. And I got to say, you know, I don't think Rice is going to win. If we do, that's incredible. I just hope we beat the spread. Like, that's my cheer. Watching Rice beat the spread. (laughs) Hey, that's it right there. College football is back, baby. I can't wait. Here we go. Answer Shell, Evan, thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Enjoy the long weekend, and then we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Bye. Talk to you all later. That was Evan Mintz and Andrew Shell Nova. You can find all the stories we talked about in our show notes. Hey, are you taking a road trip this weekend? Queue up CityCast Houston in your podcast player and enjoy old episodes, which might be new to you. Thank you. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kespa. Our producer is Carleon Jones. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis. And the host is me, Raheel Ramzanali. Our music is by the band All The Kimonos. We're off Monday for Labor Day, but we'll be back Tuesday with a brand spanking new episode. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. Can y'all see me? Because I be over here talking like y'all can see me. I can't see y'all.